dangerously close. My guest today is Sheila Liming. Sheila Liming is an associate professor at Champlain College and the author, most recently, of Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. Her writing has appeared in publications like The Atlantic, The New York Review of Books, McSweeney's, The Los Angeles Review of Books, and The Globe and Mail. She lives, works, and plays The Bagpipes and The Accordion in Burlington, Vermont. What's up, Sheila? Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I guess I have, a, here's a question just to kind of like, just to start off. So like you write, you're like, you know, you're a prolific writer, you're a journalist, you're writing for all these amazing publications. You wrote this amazing book that's kicking ass, you know, taking the world by storm. You are a professional bagpipe player. You play <laughs> the accordion. Uh, I guess my question is, what do you think you're better than me? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, rarely do I get that question in the context of bagpipes and accordion. <laughs> I wish I played the bagpipes. Who's your who's your favorite bagpipe player? Oh, wow. Um okay, so I'm going to have to go with Roddy McLeod. And yes, I mean that sounds a lot like Rowdy Roddy Piper, but there is a real guy who plays the bagpipes. Yeah. His name is Roddy McLeod and he just he, he literally does kick a lot of ass and I listen to his recordings a lot. Still out there playing bagpipes, so it's so funny that you just mentioned Rowdy Roddy Piper because I <laughs> I just listened to the uh, Vince McMahon uh, uh, Behind the Bastards series about the <laughs> WWE. And boy, is Vince McMahon a bastard. But Roddy Roddy Piper <laughs> sounds like a pretty cool guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I would have to say, so I can only think of two bagpipe players that I know by name. And one is the lead singer of Korn. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Davis. And the other is you. So I I would say that my favorite bagpipe player is you now. Before it was Amazing. Jonathan Davis because he was the only one I knew. But now that I, now I, that I'm I really it. glad that I beat out Jonathan Davis. Like 13 year old me would be really <laughs> flattered to hear that for the number one spot. <laughs> if you could, <laughs> can you do that? Can you like play bagpipes and then kind of like do that like that scat type stuff that Jonathan Davis does? You know, I haven't actually tried it, but it seems like you're able to do it. So <laughs> next time you're at next time you're at an event, a wedding, uh, something like that, and you're asked to play the bagpipes, just throw down some like, you know, just. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a funeral scheduled for this week, so I'll try it. We'll see how it goes. Oh, I, I got so sad. That's the, the saddest. I, I, there was some bagpipes at a funeral I went to and I they just wrenched my heartstrings. I. I didn't I know. know that I could feel that an instrument could, I mean, I was already sad, obviously, but I didn't know that an instrument could just, I don't think there's another instrument that could really twist you up like that, but like uh, bagpipes at a funeral. They really dial it up a notch. Like, I I mean, I play for funerals often and sometimes, you know, it'll be a funeral for a relatively older person, you know, where maybe it's not an overly tragic thing. People have kind of accepted that this person has, you know, passed. And then yeah. like, I will start playing the bagpipes in the end and suddenly everybody's crying, right? Whereas yeah. before everyone was fine. It happens all the time, so. Do you ever like play uh, Funky Town on the back? Like, you know, I always tell people that I'm happy to take requests and I always kind of just want to see where their imagination goes with requests. So I had to play a funeral last fall and I told, you know, the woman who was organizing the funeral, I was like, if you have any requests, let me know. I'll be happy to prepare them ahead of time. And she's like, this sounds weird, but 
the deceased was really into Pink Floyd. Do you know any on bagpipes? I'm like, do I? <laughs> oh, do I ever? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, the skills of a misspent high school, uh, you know, period for a girl who played the bagpipes. So I'm like, yes, I do know yeah. some Pink Floyd on the bagpipes, and I'd be happy two, to play it. <laughs> two hours later, you've played both uh, sides of the of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you asked for it. You're getting all of it. <laughs> uh, speaking of asking for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I asked you to come on this podcast because you wrote uh, an incredible book. It's called Hanging Out, the or like the radical. I'm fucking up the title. It's called Hanging, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but right. it's about the, the radical power of hanging out. And uh, just for like the context of the podcast, before we kind of get deeper into like uh, your research and the you know things that you've written about, how are we defining hanging out? Just like kind of a loose definition that we can go by, so that sure. everyone knows what we mean. Um, so I define hanging out in the book in a couple of ways, but the kind of general working definition is daring to do very little and daring to do it in the company of other people. So that's what it really consists of doing a whole lot of nothing and most importantly, doing it within like social environs. That's why I was drawn to your book. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you, you're speaking my language. And then when I found out that it was like good for me, I was like, hell yeah. You mean, <laughs> you mean the thing that I, the only thing I want to do is good for me. Like that's, that's like finding out, like if that, that would be like finding out that beer was good for you. They're like, oh, actually, wouldn't that be nice? It extends your really lifespan. <laughs> 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 okay. But this is a, another question. So uh, like I said, uh, in the title of uh, what makes hanging out a radical act? Like how can that be radical if it's such a chill thing to do? Well, I think the radical part comes from the fact that most people, well, not most people, but many people um, see it as in some way being a waste of time. And I feel like, you know, we have kind of internalized this guilt that to do nothing, to basically just hang around and also to like hang around with our friends or our family members or even with our neighbors, strangers, community members, etc., is akin to like wasting time, right? You know, just yeah. pouring it down the drain. And so, you know, part of the radical character of what I'm talking about in the book is that in order to do that, you actually have to say no to things in your life. And some of the things that you have to say no to are like work and productivity and overscheduling yourself. And sometimes saying like, it's fine if I don't accomplish anything, I just want to hang out with my friends for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still completely on board with you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. To, to the extent that I'm capable of doing that, I... See, I'm actually a person who has no trouble saying no. Like, I I love saying no. I mean, it's, you know, I don't like like to have to, like, let someone down. But when people ask me if I want to do something, I say no. Like, um, <laughs> so what was one of the most recent things? Oh, uh, I asked uh, my uh, occasional co-host uh, if he wanted to go see the Barbie movie with me because I want to do a little bonus episode on it. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to go see Boy George tomorrow night? And I was like, no. I don't, just, like, I don't I don't feel like and people that know me now like they don't expect, expect an explanation I just texted no and that's amazing and the more you do that the more people say um okay like, you know they don't pry into right. like why you're saying no because you know I, I don't follow up with like more I, another recent one was someone was like do you want to watch uh soccer and I was like no <laughs> i probably would have said yes to the soccer thing probably no to the boy george thing but <laughs> well i you know i actually ended up watching uh a little i watched u.s versus vietnam in the women's world oh World. nice so nice i i have watched some soccer but I, I recently discovered boxing like i mean i've known it's existed forever obviously and i've and i've <laughs> and i've and i've participated i have boxed but i never really got into watching the sport and we uh i got i ended up getting showtime for free 
for a little while and it has boxing and I started watching it and I was like, you know what I like about this? There's constant action and everything matters. And it's less than, it's like 24 minutes long. So I guess it's like the opposite of soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Good for maybe shorter attention spans then. (laughs) Okay. I took us so far off of the topic and I'm bringing us. It's fine. It's fine. Right right back. (laughs) Let's talk about parties. All right. Do we love them? Do we hate them? Is there a wrong way to party? Is there a right way to party? Oh, you know, I try so hard not to be prescriptive in like, you know, the book and also in the things that I say about these things. But I actually do think there are more or less right and wrong ways to party. And in the book, I talk about some cautionary examples, like some parties I've been to and some experiences I've had where things didn't quite go smoothly or didn't end up being all that fun um, because, you know, the wrong motives were being employed in the party itself. Um, But I I was interested in parties. That's kind of where my whole like thought about hanging out began, just because, like you said, I think our feelings are a little bit mixed about them. I think um, in one way, there's something that we idealize, we build up in our heads, like culture is really saturated with images of partying. But then many of us, like when confronted with the chance to go to a party, like maybe feel a little bit anxious or feel dread or feel like we don't want to go or not going to have a good time. And so I was kind of trying to think about that, that tension between like, you know, why we desire them and why we also seek to avoid them at the same time too. Um, And, you know, one way that I think that parties can go wrong is when they are like overly like planned or prescriptive or formal when there's this idea about how things have to go. And if things deviate from the plan, it's like a crisis. I think that's where parties really run off the rails and nobody ends up having a good time. So in the sense that there's a right or wrong way to party, I mean, like, yeah, being a little bit too, uh, like, you know, anal for lack of a better word about how you want your party to come across is one surefire way to make it not fun for anyone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, (laughs) Would you be willing maybe to share just maybe like one cautionary tale type you don't you don't have to go like super in depth but maybe like yeah sure one sure. idea one idea of like what maybe like a not a great party environment would look like in your experience yeah sure um so i can i can share an example that i talk about from the book <laughs> okay um so i talk about a party that i went to for a colleague of mine um and this was several years ago and um I was working at this state university. I was living in North Dakota and one of my colleagues like was leaving her job. Um, She worked in my department and she was having this going away party. And she and I had been like, you know, sort of friendly, like the sort of thing, like we'd see each other in the halls and we'd talk on occasion. And we definitely like weren't like, you know, we didn't, there was no bad blood between us. Um, But I didn't know her all that well. And she invited me to the going away party. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be, you know, in some ways, maybe kind of a bummer because it always stinks to like lose a colleague. And at that point in time, we were shedding like a lot of employees in our department. But I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go to the like, you know, going away party for her. And it was in this like fancy bar downtown. um, And we were all like gathered standing around drinking cocktails and stuff like that. And she and I like started talking about um social media use and we're just kind of like talking about how we use social media and she like was just kind of um displaying some very arrogant opinions about how she thinks like social media works for her or whatever and i i got a little bit like you know just testy towards her and i had like a few retorts back to her and all of a sudden like the tenor of the conversation completely flipped and she suddenly said like why are you here and I said, well, because you invited me. And it was kind of ironic because I hadn't wanted to go. Yeah. And at that point, what I realized was two things. One, that 
I didn't want to be there and that she didn't want me there. She had invited me to be nice and I had gone to be nice and (laughs) neither of us wanted to be nice to each other. We both just wanted to be away from each other. So it was it was a strange thing because I feel like I've felt that subtext at parties before, but I've never had anyone come out and say it. That's like, why are you actually here? And could you consider leaving? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the that's so important is like, not like, kind of like going back to what I said earlier about just saying no, feeling obligated to go to something you don't want to fucking go to. Like, if you if you can't, if you can get away with not going, then don't. I mean, I think exactly. I mean, it was one of those awkward things. It's like I did know her, so I felt obligated to go, but I was also about to never see her again for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. And and it was very clear, yeah. But I was like, okay, I should do the last thing, the final goodbye, and then I got there, and then she was like, it'd be fine if you weren't here. So, also, um, this is this is completely different than what uh, you were just saying, but this is like I think another type of thing that happens uh, over time which is mm-hmm. like our idea of what a cool party is. And I, I like right now, like the thing that popped in my head and people that like are from Nashville is where I, you know, record this podcast. And there's a lot of listeners here. Like if you've been around here for a long time, you'll recall, you'll recall the icon parties They happened. Uh, it was a tattoo shop and they would throw these massive parties in this giant, like abandoned house. That was kind of like the fight club house. Uh, wow. It was just like a three-story house that no one lived in. And it was just, a place that they could just invite hundreds of people to and trash. And it was a 4th <laughs> of July fireworks. The police showed up. People started shooting fireworks at the police. And, but there was so much going on that night. I think those cops couldn't call enough backup to deal with the number. The, the party was insane. I mean, there's like about a thousand people there and they were like, it was one cop car and they were like, fuck it. And they just left. And then later <laughs> on uh, a, a brawl, like an actual, like straight up brawl, which I've only seen a few times in my life where like, there were maybe 12 guys fighting all at once broke out and <laughs> i was i was very young i was probably 18 you know and i thought it was what i thought would be hilarious would be for me and my friends to duck over under by some bushes and shoot bottle rockets at the fight <laughs> so and we and then we started throwing you know like those like you know the black cats and all the, you know just it was like, bah, 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 bah. like so so these guys are fighting seriously punching each other getting hurt while explosives are going off all around and inside of the fight. And I remember leaving that. And I was just like, that is the coolest party I've ever been to. <laughs> but, but like, if I had to go to that today, I would be miserable. I would, you know, I would have, I would have a panic attack. I would be like, get me out of here. This is violent. It's insane. Like people are getting hurt. The police are here. So I don't know if I, uh, if that applies to anything you have to say about hanging out. I don't know. It, it totally does. Um, yeah. Like, I think, you know, part of what draws us to situations like that when we're younger is this feeling of like incitement and chaos and, you know, being part of a spectacle. And then, yeah, you, as you get older, you look back on all of that and you're like, wow, that just feels really exhausting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess the, the sense of like, like, for some reason, I thought that there was no way that that fight could turn onto me and my, you know, we like that we were somehow invincible and invisible. But <laughs> <laughs> moving on, uh, ooh, this actually kind of like is almost a little bit of a segue. Talking about partying, so we're talking about like you know, mostly we're talking about friends or like you were saying, your coworker that you never were going to see again, you didn't want to see in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but here's the, I'm asking for a piece of advice. Should I seek out strangers and try to hang out with them? 
Oh, yes. I'm a big fan of hanging out with strangers, which I, I know sounds weird. Um, I'm advocating for, you know, a kind of stranger danger, I guess, <laughs> situation here. Um, but yeah, that's that's something I talk about a lot in the book and actually something that I'm, I'm quite a fan of. Um, I, I actually find it to be something that is increasingly becoming more difficult in our culture. Um, I find that more and more, if you try to like strike up a conversation with a stranger, you're you're likely to get someone looking at you like you're insane. Um, and so it's become kind of a different landscape for doing that, but it's something that I really enjoy. And, you know, I, I used to work as a bartender for a long time. I feel like, you know, bars traditionally are a kind of venue where this is supposed to happen. So like people who come up and sit at the bar are usually looking to kind of like make conversation with strangers, right? Either with the bartender yeah. or the person who sits next to them. And, you know, I, I think that's a kind of like low stakes way that we just kind of create chit chat between each other, get to know each other, the people in our community, um, you know, not in an incredibly intimate or invasive way, but in a way that, you know, just allows us to know what's going on a little bit better. Um, but it's become more difficult. You know, it's we live in a society now where everyone walks around with their headphones on, you know, yeah. and looking at their phones. And and if you try to start a conversation with a stranger, yeah, they're, they're going to think that you're like, um, you know, invading their space in one way or another. Absolutely. And that's I mean, I guess there's probably like uh, different types of like strategies people can use. One way, like I end up uh, bullshitting with strangers all the time just because I have a dog. And oh, yes, dogs we, are we, great for that. Yeah. And we, we like to go like I like to take her to the dog park and just so she could be off the leash and run around mm -hmm. and could just chase squirrels. And, you know, I'll and if there's no one there, I, I will sit and play on my phone, which is not healthy necessarily mentally. But but usually there's a ton of people there and I'll sit there and just talk to like the most random weirdo, you know, for an hour or and at this point we've got like a, a tiny little crew like because i have a friend that also goes up there like who's actually who's a real friend and he's he's so incredibly outgoing and magnetic that he's kind of developed this like whole like squad so if i'm there and he's there five or six people will just come gather around us because it's like you know he kind of made it the cool kids picnic table got it <laughs> yeah and i i do love how dogs are useful for that and i also love the kind of like social practice that we have now where people feel okay saying hi to your dog before they feel okay saying hi to you yeah. you know so they'll like greet your dog or talk to your dog or ask if they can pet the dog before they have any interaction with the person who's attached to the dog which i think is interesting it's like the dog's the starting point you know you begin yeah. there and then you then you see how that goes and then you warm up to the actual human <laughs> yeah there's a meme about that with uh samuel l jackson from pulp fiction <laughs> when it's uh when it says like when I pet someone's dog and they try to talk to me and then it's Samuel L. Jackson saying, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Okay. I have a, I, I would posit this, but yeah, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. Let's say you go to the dog park. There's nobody there. You're still hanging mm -hmm. out with your dog. Right. Is that right? Is that, I yeah. mean, that's called, I guess, does that fall into the category of kind of hanging out alone or what? I guess, yeah, you're, you're sort of hanging out alone, but you're hanging out in public, right? Which means yeah. that you're open to opportunity, you're open to other people coming by, other dogs showing up or whatever. And, you know, I, I like that. And a lot of what I talk about in the book is like opening yourself up to opportunity, you know, putting yourself in the position where things can happen, people can create conversation, whatever. Um, I was just thinking based on the dog thing, because I don't have a dog, but I'm, I'm dog envious of other people. And I was at this festival last weekend and I was hanging out with an old friend and he had a dog and he had to like, you know, he was going to like go leave to get another beer or something. And he left me standing there with his dog. And I don't know his dog very well. I've just stayed there with it. And like 20 people come up to me and they're like, can I pet your dog? And I'm like, uh, sure. Right. Yeah. And just like, I have no idea if the dog's friendly or not. And they're all like gathered around. So like he comes 
back with his beer a few minutes later and like the dog's like on its back its belly's in the air there's like kids gathered around it and everything i'm like i don't know what happened they all they all just showed up so i mean i like how that you know hanging out with a dog creates that kind of space sometimes where yeah. you know you're, you're kind of advertising that's like okay i'm open to interaction here <laughs> yeah absolutely and i kind of feel like you know we both we just kind of like pointed out two like of the more obvious ways to like meet and talk to strangers in a real low stakes way obviously you know and not everyone has a dog of course but you know that is easy or that's how you know i'm mainly the main amount of talking to strangers i do is because of my dog that's just that's just a fact of life. And it's also because like, I'm at a place right now in my life where I can't really be going to bars a lot just because of mm -hmm. like my life events and things like that. It's just, I can't be gone from my house from that amount of time. You know, I, I have a, a, a baby, so I can't mm -hmm. just be like, yo, I'm going to dip out to the bar, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I can, but it, it would require like a lot of planning, you know? So it's almost mm -hmm. like right. not, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of what you say by hanging out, which is, don't plan the shit out of everything you do. Yeah. I was curious, do you have any other like thoughts of like ways that, you know, it's like say someone like doesn't want to go to the bar and doesn't have a dog. Like what's, you know, what's a third option just off the top of your head. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like low stakes forms of hanging out, you know, and like, I mean, this can be like relatively unstructured activity sitting on someone's porch or even having like some kind of really small task that you accomplish together. Like, I love going grocery shopping with friends if I'm hanging out with a friend and then they're like, oh, I just got to pick up a few things at the store. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Let's yeah. do that together. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very simple. It's very silly. Um, my partner and I actually when we first got together, that's how we got together was by grocery shopping together because oh, we like cool. lived close to each other. And then he'd be like, I'm going to stop by the store. You want to come with me? So like, yeah, I mean, I, I find that to be, you know, a really sort of like unintimidating way um, to hang out in somebody else's presence. It's just like accomplishing daily tasks um doing what you got to do you know <laughs> yeah and also like you know if you can grocery shop with someone um in like a like a way that's like congruent and like works well and it's fluid and there's no mm -hmm. friction then that is a good sign that that could be a potential partner because exactly you go to the grocery store and someone's like you know on a totally different tip than you or if they're like i'm only gonna go eat food out of this aisle that you, that you hate like that's something <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some people listening right now that are like, no, I actually, I have a great partner who eats nothing but disgusting food. So yeah, <laughs> don't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, my partner at the time was really into bacon sandwiches, which were literally just bread and bacon. That's what he was eating at the time. So, you know, through our grocery shopping excursions, I did encourage him to like, you know, try foods with colors in them and things yeah, like that. <laughs> try a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, uh, so you did some hanging out on a reality TV show uh yeah did that have any influence on like you deciding to write this book or like was that kind of at all like kind of motivational or like just the experience itself it did um it was actually that was the first chapter of the book that i wrote and that was the one that i kind of like sold to the press as the project for the book and um that was sort of the seed of all my thinking about hanging out was this strange experience that i had of being on this reality television show that was on the Food Network um, that was really just based around my friend's life. I had a friend when I was living in North Dakota and I kind of knew her before she got famous and started on this trajectory, but then she got her own show on the Food Network and she got increasingly more famous, you know, to the point where she like had birth announcements in People Magazine and that kind of thing. And it was like getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I started to like just kind of 
notice or really I was like staring in awe at these weird situations that I found myself in, um, especially this strange feeling that I was living life twice. Um, because a lot of what we did on the reality television show is we would celebrate something, you know, a holiday or the birth of a child or, you know, whatever, somebody's birthday or the Super Bowl or whatever. And so what I noticed is that we would be doing these things twice. We would do them once for real, supposedly, and then we'd do them again on the show, usually about three months later and totally out of season with whatever was actually happening in the world. Yeah. And there was this sense of repetition, right? It's like, okay, now do it all over again. And this time do it for the cameras and we're going to make it look better. And it's, you know, going to be different, but it's, it's going to be for the sake of audiences who can't, who aren't here right now. You know, this yeah. hypothetical audience that exists out there in TV land. So it's a strange experience. It made me think a lot about what reality television is and why we like it for those of us who do and why we subscribe to it. And I think, you know, part of what I came around to is this idea that reality television um, allows us to eavesdrop on other people's social lives. And it is a form of hanging out. It gives us company. We yeah. see people, you know, going about their daily business. We see them, you know, engaging in things like celebrations. And it gives us this sense, I think, of community and company sometimes when we feel relatively isolated. Yeah, for sure. You know, actually, one of my very first experiences of, of behind the curtain of reality television, and I think it's partly why I've never really gotten into it, is uh, one of my best friends, Dominic, who's been on the show a couple times. He was on a reality show like when we were really young. He like it was on Bravo. It was hosted mm -hmm. by Dave Navarro and Carmen Electra. And it was like a modeling show. And he's not a model. He's never modeled before. It's like, but he, <laughs> he got he got talent scouted. And they were like, you want a free trip to L.A. and a stipend? And he was like, yes, I don't have anything else going on in my life. <laughs> and he went out there. And so uh, they made him say all these stupid things he didn't want to say. Like we were skateboarders, in, you know, at the time. And like they gave him a Walmart skateboard and they're like, all right, skate up to the camera and say, and he, so he skates up to the camera and he's like, Hey, my name's Dominic. I skate, I rock and I model. And it's like, <laughs> it, he would never say that. He would never say that in his life. But the most, the, the thing that was most to me, like buffoonish. And I was like, this is, this is, you know, I'm, it's not real is he was the first guy to get eliminated. Cause he was also like <laughs> the only guy there that didn't want to really be a model. And they were like, Dominic, you're eliminated. And he, he goes, okay. And walks off and they, and the, and the producer calls him back and he's like, and he goes, no, 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 no. He's like, be upset. And he said he got in an argument because he didn't want to be on TV, like looking like the, like being the, and they argued and they made him get like, pretend like he didn't want to be <laughs> cut. <laughs> so after that, I never really got into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will be honest and say that, and I mentioned this in the book, that I've never watched any of the episodes of the reality television show that I was on. Um, really? Because, didn't... yeah, I, wow. they, they freaked me out. Like, I, I didn't want to, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to watch myself playing myself on TV. And I didn't want to watch my friend, who was my real friend, like, playing herself on TV, because that was weird to me, too. So I just, I avoided it. <laughs> um, but don't worry, lots of other people have told me about, you know, having seen episodes <laughs> and stuff. So Do they say nice things? uh yeah you know that they mostly just mentioned the aesthetics so <laughs> i should probably uh address something because this is something i i posted on social media about and made a big deal out of it and then it didn't happen and that was the guy i mentioned earlier zach uh the occasional mm -hmm. co-host we're going to go see barbie tomorrow we were on, almost on food network we were uh in for it's called food truck wars or some yeah show. yeah okay yeah so we I were that the, show we were in the final cut and we blew it in our final audition they had like one last audition when they were down to like they were just gonna cut we were like in the last 18 groups and they cut it down to like 12 so we were like the six people that got kicked out 
and uh-huh. we just like went into it so unprepared completely on different pages disagreeing about what like what the food was going to be like just we did everything wrong and we've been killing it up until that point and they were like okay thanks for playing and like so so we, <laughs> i uh i feel like i never really fully addressed that to the listeners why i said we were going to be on the show and we weren't it's because they didn't let us get on they didn't let us be on the show <laughs> i see well I'm, I'm glad i could be here for this important omission you know that you're now facing up to <laughs> <laughs> I, that was like that was a while ago i probably should have mentioned something about it like maybe when it was relevant so you write about <laughs> hanging out as a uh, part of your job. Is that mostly like a networking thing or are there other factors as well? Well, I'm a college professor um, and that means that I spend a lot of time, of course, in the classroom teaching students, mostly between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, so, you know, one side of my job does consist of hanging out and I would argue that that's, you know, part of what we do in education. Um, we get people together in a room and we kind of create the conditions for their hanging out and the intellectual space for them to like, you know, do that together. Um, When we're in the classroom together, and this is something that I particularly noticed during the COVID pandemic when we couldn't be in the classroom together, but part of what we're doing is we're like bouncing ideas around, you know, right? We're, We're talking, we're seeing, we're trying to figure out what we think about something. We're testing out those ideas together. And yeah, sometimes we're getting pushback or sometimes somebody being like, no, that's bullshit. That's totally wrong. You know, that's that's kind of like what you do when you're in, you know, say uh, like a hanging out situation with friends or family, right? It's, it's a similar kind of testing of um, boundaries and ideas and thoughts. Um, but I also talk about it in the book, I talk about hanging out on the job in the context of academic conferences. And that's like a big thing that academics do like me because Generally, you know, once you become a professor and you spend all your life teaching and interacting with those 18 to 24 year olds, you stop interacting with all those other people who know the same stuff that you do. Um, It's you don't have them around you every day like you did when you were in school or before that in early parts of your life. So you go to these conferences a couple times a year to see your crew and to hang out with those people who like speak your same language and read the same books and get the same stuff. And um, that itself becomes, I think, a really important way of like staying connected to the things that you care about in your job. So I talk about academic conferences as a kind of hanging out um, and also about like, you know, how hard it's become to do that kind of stuff. Um, Because yeah, I mean, you got to find your way there. You got to make time in your schedule. You got to take time off work. You got to pay for it sometimes. And that makes it all, of course, increasingly difficult too. You know, um, I just had a thought that kind of goes back to something we were saying. You just made me think of it when we were saying like, what's some other like ways to like get some stranger danger up in your life. And <laughs> yeah, that you know, like something that's not like, you know, especially if you if you don't have the kind of job that conferences, you know, are a part of, but there are always like things like comic cons or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conventions that could be for whatever your interest might be. So if you're like, super into comic books, obviously, comic con would be a great way to go and talk to a shitload of strangers who are all interested in the thing <laughs> you're interested in. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't and that's to... <laughs> actually one thing I love about conferences or conventions in general is like it is a bunch of strangers who have elected to come and be in the same room as a bunch of other strangers who like the thing they like. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you might know a few people there, but you're also like largely just kind of floating around solo, you know, and and just trying to meet new people and see if you make new friendships or connections or whatever. And like the way that everybody is sort of open and available to that, I think, makes those events kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the best conference I ever went to, it's called the Tampa Pro Skate Contest. Uh, it's a professional skateboarding contest held in Tampa, Florida. And it's not, it's like, 
it's one of the very few like still independent things like of that nature it's not espn related it's not mountain dew related it's just straight up a skate park that's been there forever and every time i go there i'm like my people (laughs) you know (laughs) you know even though i I know what you mean i mean i'm not a pro and i don't skate at that level and i'm and i'm getting older and it's getting harder but you know i still i never lose that sense of like when i walk into like into that park or into like any of the bars down there in tampa that are filled with skaters i'm like this is i've you know i've reached like my my land my chosen land i I know i love that and (laughs) I will say that I feel the same way about like being a bagpiper, you know, surprisingly, you don't tend to run into that many other bagpipers on a daily basis unless you go out of your way to find them. Yeah. And so like last weekend, I was at a Scottish bagpiping festival and like, yeah, oh, cool. it's it's fun because like one thing that you do in, in like arenas like that is you like troubleshoot things, right? So you're like talking about your instrument, you're talking about your gear, you're like, I got this problem with this read and this channel that I'm using, and what are you using? And then like, you compare notes on things and you actually learn as the result of that too. So there's a very kind of practical side to it. And yes, you're also like, you know, drinking beer and hanging out and playing music for each other, but. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. Or like, yeah, I and mean, uh, writing conventions, just like, this is like an unlimited number of things. Like, there's like, if you're, if you're into something, there's something for you. There's got to be. For sure. Yes. Like, <laughs> le- like I know there's Legos. I wonder, there's probably even like a plumber's convention. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. <laughs> okay, guys, you heard it here first. Go to a convention. All right. This is, okay, so as we're going to go to a thing that I'm actually not super stoked on. To be honest, uh, I'm not very fond of dinner parties. <laughs> so as, as much as I just said that I really enjoy hanging out in, in so many different forms, that's one that I often actually personally, I feel awkward a lot of the time is especially when it's like, it's people I don't really know. And it's like, and you're, I'm like eating and like, I don't know. I think I might, I might eat gross. Cause I like shovel like food in my mouth. <laughs> but, I, but what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is I have an open mind. So what I want to ask you is what can be great about dinner parties? So I started thinking about parties when I was writing this book and I was having conversations with people about parties and I was talking to some people who were saying like, oh, I don't love parties, but I love dinner parties. And then I was talking to some people who said the reverse too, right? Like, I don't like dinner parties. I feel awkward at them, but I like big parties with lots of people. And I was like, okay, so that that tells me these are two separate things that yeah. we have separate you know, categories of feeling regarding them. So I started thinking about, okay, what is a dinner party? And one of the things I was very interested in is um, I, I'm a big horror movie fan and I was really interested in why there's so many horror movies from really the past like 10, 15 years that take place in the context of dinner parties. So I was like, okay, if, if there's a lot of horror movies that take place in this scenario, then that means collectively we're a little freaked out about them, right? There's there's some sort of feeling about like things can go wrong. And and I think part of the um, part of the discomfort that comes with dinner parties is the feeling that you're usually entering into somebody else's domestic sphere, into their home or something like that. And there's this sense of like not knowing the rules all the time, like things are different. You don't quite know how to behave. You don't know where stuff goes or whatever it is. And I think that kind of puts people on edge. And then there's also that sense that's like, it's small, there's nowhere to hide. And you're usually going to be like, you know, forced to get into conversation with strangers. Sometimes yeah. this can be so fun. I've been to dinner parties that worked out like totally great where, you know, everybody got along and we were, you know, there till one in the morning, you know, like finishing the dregs of the wine and stuff like that. But I've also been yeah. to ones that were absolute nightmares too. Um, like ones where I wanted to leave the second I got in the door and then you feel like you're trapped and you can't leave. And that's where the horror movie starts, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think there's sort of like a different species of hanging out and we all have different sort of feelings um, towards them. But I do think that they're really interesting for the way they kind of put those behaviors on display for us. I think uh, this also kind of like ties into, this is not the same thing as a dinner party per se, but like Thanksgiving, you know, how yeah, like right. for, for some people they're like, hell yeah, Thanksgiving, my, like my favorite holiday. I'm going to see my family and eat. And, you know, they just, and they like get on social media and they post like, I'm so thankful for my, you know, I'm so thankful for my Nana, you know, like just, you know, the most sappiest, like cringiest posts about their things they're thankful for. But there's a whole, you know, group of people that are totally feeling the same way. And then there's people that are like Thanksgiving. Oh my God, I'd rather eat shit and live in a coffin. Like, so uh, (laughs) do you think that's, is that like applicable to like what you're saying with like, with a traditional dinner party where it's with strangers oh, yeah. or with like people from work or blah, 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 neighbors. Definitely. Cause yeah, I mean, holidays, holidays that are organized around food, which let's be real in America, most of them are, um, that's effectively what they are. They are kind of dinner parties of, of one sort or another. And yeah, so I think for that exact reason, depending on like how you feel about those traditions, what your relationship is to them, and also with the people with whom you've celebrated them in the past, um, that is going to have a big, big impact on how you feel about it. Um, I grew up in the city of Seattle, and I remember that the alternative paper in Seattle, which is called The Stranger, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to always publish lists of local bars that were open on Thanksgiving and Christmas for people who didn't have those places to go to or else were estranged from their family um, or felt like, you know, that was a holiday that was like stressful to them. They were going to go be around family and then they needed to escape at some point and get away. And and I thought that was really interesting that like as a culture, you know, the alternative paper was just kind of acknowledging like, no, this is a thing. Sometimes people need to get away yeah. from their family as much as they might want to see them too. So if you're going to be out on Thanksgiving day, here's where you can go. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. That's cool. You're from Seattle. Uh, that's, that's my home away from home. If you're, if, ah. I'm, if I'm not in Nashville, that's where you'll find me t- typically. I mean, not so much right now because I'm not traveling at the moment at all, but Generally, I'm in Seattle a few times a year. Love that city. It's amazing. I can't. I can't believe you were able to leave. Ah, Just, well, and now, now I can never go back because it's too expensive. So that's like a billion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's outrageous. Okay, here's a question. Uh, <laughs> going back to the to the uh, horror movies and all that stuff, as fast as you can, off the top of your head, best horror movie based like dinner party adjacent. Uh, the Invitation. Um, so it's a recent movie. It came out, I want to say, like six, seven years ago. It takes place in California, like in the Hollywood Hills. So it's awful because it's like that disgusting L.A. culture, too, is what's so good about it. And it's this dinner party scenario that takes place in this like kind of fancy modernist house. And like the characters, as they're on the way to the dinner party, are trying to figure out how they know the host, what their relationship is with it and everything. And like, imagine this scenario. I won't tell you how the movie ends, but imagine this scenario. You get into somebody's house for a dinner party, even though you've like brought some wine, there's some hors d'oeuvres laid out or whatever. And they're like, hey, before we begin, we'd just like to show you this short video that comes from the religion that we've recently joined. <laughs> and so they they gather everyone together and they show them this video that's basically like um, a kind of proselytizing documentary about what is what is actually a cult. And th- this couple has joined a cult and everybody who's there at their dinner party is going to be uh encouraged to become part of the cult whether they like it or not so it's it's awesome i love it yeah i mean in a way that sounds fun but (laughs) (laughs) um do you think like do you think get out kind of falls into the dinner like i mean i know yeah i I think it's just it's not like a dinner party but it's dinner party adjacent you know yes it totally is 
Cause a, a yeah, because it's, it's the meet the parent thing, and it's like a long yeah. weekend, right? So it's like a little little vacation trip thing, yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, a dinner party is like, you sit down at a table, and you can't just get up and leave the second you don't like it. Well, you can. Right. And you should. You know, we should be able to do that. You should be able to say, <laughs> I'm not enjoying myself. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay. This is probably the most controversial type of hanging out. Hanging out on the internet. And I feel like it's a subject where people can really be at extreme ends of the spectrum. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I just kind of want to know, like, where do you land on? Well, um, it's something that I try to actually take a very balanced approach to discussing. Um, I see certain sort of problems associated with our behaviors that we develop while hanging out on the Internet. And one of them being that it's like really easy to um get used to being able to have control over how that happens you know like if we get in a disagreement with somebody on the internet we can just like close the browser tab or we can stop talking to them or we can block them and we yeah. can effectively exit the conversation seamlessly and in real life it doesn't work that way which actually creates some sort of impatience towards in-person interactions but i am also somebody who is indebted to hanging out on the internet um because like a lot of my life over the past 10 years has been spent doing that um, I mentioned that I used to live in North Dakota. If you've ever been to North Dakota, there's not a lot of people there. Yeah. And when I was living in North Dakota, I, I, you know, I discovered social media as a way of like talking to people during the day while I was at work when I otherwise would have been totally alone. And I made friends that way. And some of those friends became like real friends. Like they are some of my best friends now who, you know, I text and I talk to and I see them when they're in town or I'm in their town or whatever. So, um, so I, I try to kind of, you know, sit in the middle on it. Um, I think that hanging out on the internet has in some ways made us more impatient with hanging out with people in person. And that's a problem. But I also think that it has brought great opportunities for people who might, you know, struggle to hang out in other ways or who feel socially awkward or have trouble finding their tribe or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, because it is really good for that, like finding your tribe, especially especially if you're isolated, um, you know, like in a place like North Dakota and there's not nobody around, you know, like, but right. even if you're like just in a town that like there's people around you, but they're just not kind of your people, but you can find them because you can reach out on the internet and you can find anyone in the world. And that's like, so that right. is very cool. But also I totally, and I could see like, and the other, uh, other end of the spectrum, which I've experienced with people is like some people that are very anti-social media uh, can be very arrogant about it. In my uh, experience with it, like, yeah. like, I don't, I don't have social media because it's, <laughs> and it reminds me of people that have a certain type of diet that they're <laughs> they're so proud of that it's become their entire personality and they're like <laughs> i don't eat x y or z or i only you know um can i bring up one other thing too what i was saying like in the in the toxic realm of it and this mm -hmm. uh is where i experienced it the absolute most was in the year 2016 uh there was a very big presidential election it was probably one of the most disruptive of my life <laughs> and i had couple like you know a lot of facebook friends let's just you know say like i forgot maybe 1500 at the time it was just you know a lot of people on there <clears throat> turns out a lot of people that i knew <clears throat> had never been openly racist in front of me before and th therefore i didn't know that, that was a thing about them so when i started becoming critical of the president um a lot of people started saying these people had known me for a long time this a lot of people had been co-workers or you know had maybe Played a, played a sport with me, something like that. And things that I know for a fact these people would never have said to me, to my face, 
would right. were coming at me with like the most incredibly vicious insults and you know words that I won't even repeat on this podcast. And uh <laughs> so that is a that is a bizarre uh feature of hanging out on the internet is how cruel and mean and psycho people can act and because they're behind a computer screen they're not this like they're not their mind yeah. isn't registering that they're talking to another human being that they're supposedly friends with you know agreed that little bit of separation that the computer screen provides just creates like enough space for um someone to you know kind of go like full throttle in some ways you know to judge people really quickly to get like to make snap decisions about stuff it reminds me of like the similar behaviors that you see um, with people when they're in their cars, you know, and how like, you know, through road rage incidents and things like that, we sometimes act in our cars in ways we would never act like you would never just, well, at least I hope you wouldn't, but you would never just like directly cut in line in front of someone in person. <laughs> like if you're standing at the post office, you wouldn't just walk five people up in line and then cut in front of someone, but you totally would in your car and people do it every single day, right? Yeah. Because the car just creates this little bit of mediated space where you're like, oh, well, you can't see me. You don't know me. I, there's no consequences. Yeah. Um, and I think social media is kind of the same way. It's like with this little bit of space, it feels like the consequences become, you know, less harsh and therefore behavior becomes more extreme. Um, <laughs> even if you know who the person is, even if like you even know them in real life and may actually see them in person at some point. And I, I believe they, uh, they feed one another. I think that the, mm -hmm. uh, that the internet culture and like treating people, uh, poorly on Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you might be where you, you kind of <laughs> get, get away with this, like, you know, just terrible behavior. <clears throat> I think a lot of people, uh, are bringing that more into the real world, especially in their cars. I just, that's a belief of my own. I don't have any scientific data to back <laughs> that up, but I will say this and I, I'll drop it is I, I used to be a bike courier and I love that job because I rode, a, I rode my bicycle for a living and it was awesome. And I was always outside and I was always on my bicycle and it was very fun. However, people in their cars seem to yes. think that because they were in their car, that they were somehow like separated from me. And so I took it upon myself I don't know how, how much education I was able to spread, but I tried to educate as many people as I possibly could that they were not safe inside their car <laughs> <laughs> because in, in, in this city, you're, you cannot outrun a bicycle, especially not a bicycle courier, like someone who bikes for a living and can go quickly because mm -hmm. there are so many red lights and there's so much traffic. If you do something, yeah. even if you get five blocks from me, I will be there to speak to you. But all my friends, my mom and everybody was like, like you're gonna get shot you're gonna get your head blown off doing this you have to stop so i stopped yeah i digress it's scary right <laughs> think of um when i lived in pittsburgh there was like this local character in pittsburgh this guy who rode his bike everywhere who had tied onto the front of his bike he had tied the front bumper of a car so that cars couldn't get close to him when he was on his bike because he was basically enforcing the two foot rule like all around him by yeah. having the bumper sticking out. And it was just kind of like reminding you of like how close cars get to bikers too, you know, without really thinking about like, yeah, that's a human that's not protected from me being this close to them. And and he was just basically being like, okay, I've created my buffer of space. Now you're gonna have to deal with it and treat me like a car. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> love I that guy. <laughs> that man is a hero. <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't feel like I was being a hero. I just felt like it was my civic duty. To go yeah, and like right. just kind of tap on someone's window and say, excuse me, like, I would like to inform you about what you've just done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, Ooh. Okay, so here is, 
I, I know that like uh, in your book, you do some uh, a little bit of like advice, you know, for people. And one thing is as people get older, uh, like, you know, because, you know, in your high school, you like there's a lunch table you could probably sit at and be like, oh, here's a bunch of people for me to hang out with, you know, and that's just not there for you. And like, you know, as you get older in life, is there like um, my, do you have like any like maybe like tips or tricks, kind of stuff like that for people that feel like, you know, I'm having a more difficult time uh, making new friends as I age? Yeah, I mean, it is tough, um, right? And I, that's part of what inspired me to write on this subject and to think about it more deeply um, as I was preparing this book is that I think the older we get, the harder this gets. And yet, I think it's really important to remember that as children and as kids, um, these things happen relatively effortlessly. If you watch kids and you watch the ways that they socialize with each other, and yeah, there, there's of course fumbling around and stuff like that, and there's trial and error, but they do it pretty quickly. They forgive pretty quickly. They get over stuff pretty quickly, and they get back into their you know their kind of general sort of loop with each other. Um, and the older we get, I, I think that um, we are sometimes cursed by remembering things too much by remembering like times that people have let us down or interactions didn't go well, or we felt rejected or we felt left out or whatever. And, you know, that stuff weighs on us in our interactions with each other. And we, we worry about what the outcome is going to be. And so, you know, I, I try not to take too much of an advice tone in the book. I don't think of myself as a self-help author, but, but towards the end of the book, because of all these conversations I was having with people as I was writing it, I, I started to think like, okay, it's worthwhile to maybe offer some, you know, sort of cues along these lines. And, one of the big cues that I, you know, offer is the cue of taking risks, um, that hanging out and venturing into friendships or any kind of social relationship is itself a kind of risk. It's a risk that is usually worth the reward. And yeah. it's also okay if it's not long lasting, you know, we can have like small shallow relationships with people that don't have to be deep and incredibly intimate and they can still be really sustaining for our life. Um, and so, you know, that's an okay thing too, is like, don't take it personally when it fizzles out, another one's going to come along. Yeah, for sure. I have a dog park, dude, like that. Like <laughs> we we found out that we have extremely opposing political views, and but he's uh he's a pleasant guy. And he's and he's cool to talk to as long as we only talk about movies. So that's, that's it. Good. We, we Gotta talk find about that movies. common ground. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like I'm like he has a I, he has I like his dog, and we both like movies. Boom, you know we don't have to sit there and argue argue about the you know. NATO or what you know right. like. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know as long as you can sustain relationships with people like that who you don't necessarily agree with politically as long as it doesn't turn into like some kind of bullying or arguing all the time or something like that I actually think it's important to have those relationships because you know what you're doing is you're kind of reminding this person who otherwise might never seek out a person like you to be friends with you're reminding yeah. them of your own humanity and you're reminding yourself of their humanity right that like we're both people we can get along we can find things we have in common even if we don't agree on how we feel about the former president or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like or even like at like stores, like uh there's like a like a local kind of health food store around here that sells a bunch of vitamins and I I'll, I'll always be getting into some other kind of like supplement every other day. I'll be like, "Oh, Lion's Mane is going to make me smart." You know, then I you know, then I'll be like, <laughs> "I don't feel any smarter. I quit taking it." So then I try and find something else. <laughs> But so, so the lady that like works in that section, you know, she's always like stocks the vitamins and she knows about every vitamin. So like, we got this whole little relationship because she's like, oh, here's this dude that's like always coming in here for some kind of crazy <laughs> quick fix vitamin. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, my muscles aren't big enough, but I don't want to take steroids. I need, uh, you know, like, <laughs> so, I mean, that's my own like dumb thing that I'm doing, but it's like, you know, that's a, uh, 
you know, a real social relationship with someone that hella low stakes. We don't normally, I don't normally hang out and talk for longer than 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but so I don't know. Does that kind of fall into the category totally. of what you're saying of like, just kind of. Finding Absolutely. People I mean, as funny as it sounds like, you know, one of the first things that I did to start meeting people when I first moved to where I'm living now in Vermont is like I joined this local food co-op, you know, grocery store. And like you have to go through an orientation because you can like work part time in the grocery store to have discounts on your food and stuff like that. So I went through the orientation, met people and then like started like volunteering through the store at various things that they do, you know, like their Christmas tree sale and whatever. And like, I meet people yeah. that way. And it's it's really nice. And the only thing that we have in common is that we all shop at this place, you know, for our, you know, milk and eggs and whatever else. So, yeah, hell yeah. And sometimes, man, you just get lucky and you just find the coolest ass person in the world in the most weirdest place. You know, like <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go down in the sewers and just see what's down there. And then you find someone else who's doing that. And boom, you guys are like super friends. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Sh Sheila, I have to tell you something. We are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Let me tell you how the lightning round works. It's oh, a part no, of the podcast. I'm not prepared. <laughs> you don't have to be. You don't have to be prepared. This is just kind of the game part of the podcast. I ask you a series of questions, super fast. Don't take any time to think. This is not a cerebral exercise. This is all gut reaction. Um, I don't write the lightning round. This is written by co-producer Colleen. She just dropped this off right before we started recording. So I have not seen it either. It's different every time. It's always a different format. There's never. There's no telling what this could be. So I'm going to go ahead and okay. see what, what you got. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes they're kind of hard. Um, lightning round. This one is uh, this or that. Probably one of the easiest possible ones you could have gotten. Yes. So, okay. <clears throat> are you ready to play? I'm ready. Yes. All right. <laughs> These are pretty good. Uh, who would you rather hang out with? Big Bird or Cookie Monster? Big Bird. Really? <laughs> yeah. He yeah. Is cool. Yeah. I, I, I just think. Cookie Master would be really um, like messy and annoying and would get crumbs all over my couch. <laughs> yeah, I guess like maybe I, I think I feel like I want to match his energy, but at the same time, maybe like that's too much of us. To, Have you like, ever to... seen Big Bird Joe's goes to Japan? He's just so friendly in that movie. And I just I don't know. <laughs> I think we'd have a good time. I would totally travel <clears throat> with Big Bird and hang out with him. <laughs> I have not seen the movie, but I can guarantee I will see it in the very Recommend. near future. <laughs> okay. Would you rather hang out with the Monopoly Man or Mr. Peanut? Oh, Mr. Peanut. Yeah. Yeah. He seems, he seems a lot more like <laughs> kind of just down to earth. Monopoly yeah. Man's just kind of like, he's kind of a monster if you really think about it. Totally. All right. How would you rather hang out? While exercising or while lounging? Oh, can I do both? Because that's my favorite. Can we go on a hike and then lounge and drink beer afterwards? Because that would be awesome. That is actually, in my opinion, the epitome of hanging out is to do something super like kind of maybe hard, like hike up a mountain or something like yeah. that, or go skate or ride a bike, basketball, yeah. any of that, any of that shit. And then kick back with some cold brews and talk about how dope your day was. That's yes. Yes. Really, That's what I want. We got, I want to both. The, we got to the bottom of it. All <laughs> right. Uh, how would you rather hang out for 10 minutes or 10 hours? 10 hours if I have them. That's the best, man. I love the marathon hanging out. You get into some weird, dark, deep places with people then. But if all I've got is 10 minutes, I'll totally take the 10 minutes. That's fine, too. Yeah, either one. Uh, the 10 hour one reminds me of like sleepovers, you know, when yeah. you're a kid. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I get to hang out with my friend all night. I'm not going to sleep. So, OK. Uh, when would you rather hang out? Morning or night? Night. Yeah. Um, man, I'm getting kind of 
I'm getting kind of tired at night these days, but I'm going to go with you. Night is typically cooler. I know. I definitely cooler. can't hang out as late at night as I once did, <laughs> but I still feel like people open up a bit more at night. In the morning, they're they're kind of closed, you know, shelves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of a, at a place now where, like, if I'm hanging out too late, I start being like, who are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. When would you rather hang out? Uh, happy hour or brunch? Oh, but I do like brunches. Um, if the brunch involves happy hour activities, if you know what I mean, that's the best. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, I don't know how to weigh in on that because I'm not really a breakfast foods kind of guy. That's so. the great thing about brunch, though, is you don't have to commit yourself to breakfast. Yeah. It can be any meal of the day. You can get a sandwich at brunch and no one's going to be mad at you. Well, okay. I am a sandwich guy. So brunch sounds like <laughs> brunch sounds good. All right. Uh, where would you rather hang out? On a boat or at the park? I hate boats, so I'm going with park. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Boats are hostage situations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia did the, the greatest uh, example of that of all time, I think. Okay. <laughs> Where would you rather hang out? At a fancy party or at your house? Oh, um, probably at my house. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it doesn't yeah. have to be my house. It can be anybody else's house, too. Yeah. House parties uh hands down best type of party in my opinion agreed why would you rather hang out because you haven't seen each other for a while wait wait oh <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm this is i'm reading i'm this is all i'm reading like handwriting up a notebook sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> why would you rather hang out haven't seen each other in a really long time or bff you that you always hang out with Oh, again, I don't want to choose. I want to do both because both are so important. Um, just last weekend, I saw a friend who I had not seen for 20 years, 20 Damn. years. We hadn't seen each other and we ran into each other randomly at this festival that I was at and we had the freaking best time hanging out. It was awesome. So yeah, I, I want to do both. Ideally, I want to be good to my my BFFs that I, that I see often, but I also want those, you know, like relationships that kind of like went fallow for a while. I want them to come back. That's so fun. Yeah, for sure. I remember. Um, so I, yeah, I'm like, I like to hang out with my BFFs like whenever I possibly can. But then I had this like one homie. He was a kind of like a former BFF, but then he went to prison for a long time. And then he got out of prison, and I ran into him at the gas station, and we made a, a Instagram reel like together, <laughs> uh, and it was really really funny. <laughs> so that was also like a good example of like haven't seen each other in a long time. Pretty fun to hang out. That's but, cool. You know, but yeah, so. Anyway, Sheila, I have one last question to ask you. It's the most important question of the whole interview, and it's this. Where can people uh, uh, find your, like, read your book, your writing, and anything else you'd like to share? Um, so the book is available in all fine bookstores, which I'm sure includes some very fine ones in Nashville. Um, so you can buy it. Uh, it's in hardcover right now. Paperback is coming out this winter. So if you want to save some money, you can wait a few months and get it that way, or you can get it for free from your local library. And actually, the audiobook just came out. It's um, read by a very nice actress from the show Nashville. So you can listen to her reading the book, <laughs> and it's available on Audible and everywhere you get audiobooks. Sometimes I forget that this is an audio only podcast, and I'm, <laughs> I'm doing all these like absurd facial expressions that no one but you can see. When you I know, I know. Was, Everyone's missing my facial expressions too, but they're they're great, right? <laughs> yeah, they were. I would say probably the best facial expressions I've ever seen on this podcast were <laughs> performed by you today, uh, <laughs> Sheila. Thank You're you. just saying that, but thank you. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. <laughs> I I mean it, and I want to say thank you so very much for taking the time of the day to come talk to me and uh, 
have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed hanging out. <laughs>